doing? Good. I need water. All right. Well, we're going we're gonna to dive right into it. I love testimonies. How many of you guys love testimonies? Yeah. And not just when I'm featured in them either. <laughs> that, oh, that, that's good too. Um, but yeah, I love testimonies. And we're going to hear a lot more testimonies tonight. Um, there's such power in testimony. And so we're going to talk about what that looked like in Jesus's ministry, and we're going to talk about what that looked like in our lives, and then we're going to get to hear some testimonies tonight. So it's going to be good. Matthew chapter 9. If you want to follow along, you can turn there. We've been going through the book of Matthew. We find ourselves in chapter 9 going towards the end here. So I'm going to start reading out of verse 18, and, uh, and then we'll jump on into it. While he was saying this, Jesus being the he, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came up and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the, the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. <clears throat> After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of, news of this spread through all the region. As Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. So we see this story that has multiple sub-stories of all of these different types of people with different needs, and all of those needs are satisfied in Jesus. You see the first person who's a synagogue leader. Uh, now, if you think about a synagogue leader, so in each, in each different town there was a synagogue, and for that synagogue there was a, a group of elders that would be the leader within that synagogue. These were the devout Jews of their time. And this synagogue leader comes up, he runs before Jesus, and it says he kneels before him. This is clearly a sign of massive respect. But this guy is going through a huge time in his life. I mean, probably the worst thing that can any, ever happen to, to a person. His daughter dies. It doesn't, it doesn't get, I don't know, I, I can't expe speak for you know, every, every area, but this feels like as bad as it gets. This guy's world just collapsed. His world completely dropped out from under him, similar to 
Kenny in a way. And he's left there thinking like, imagine what's going on in this guy's head. I, man, I've been hardcore in my synagogue my entire life. You know, I serve God the best I know how. What is going on? And then he probably remembers, wait, I think I heard Jesus was in town. And I've heard so much crazy stuff about the, the things that are going on. Maybe I'll go to him and maybe, maybe what I heard from my neighbor or maybe what I heard from, you know, in the synagogue, people, the rumors that are going around, maybe he can help. And so the guy runs before Jesus and kneels before him. I, I kind of envision it as a last-ditch effort. It's like, man, my, my world just fell apart. What am I supposed to do right now? And the guy falls bef before Jesus, and Jesus says, I'll come with you. And he goes to his house, and he walks in, and he says, you know, don't worry, she's not dead. She's asleep. And they start laughing at him, and immediately he puts him out. It's kind of like that, you know? It's like, they all laugh at him, and he's like, get out. Like, just, just get out. <laughs> you know, that, that's probably not how it happened, but just get out of here. So they all leave, and he goes and he resurrects a dead girl. He lays, on, he lays his hands on her, and the power of life returns back into this girl. I mean, imagine that moment for the family. Imagine that moment for the people around. Your world completely devastated, something that you never think you'll ever be able to recover from. Boom. You go to Jesus. He comes. He lays his hand on your on your problem, in this case, your daughter, and, and right back, like, returns her right back into your arms. And then we see uh, this woman who had been bleeding, what does it say, 12 years? This woman had been bleeding nonstop for 12 years. Now, if you unpack what this is, this was probably menstrual bleeding, and the reason why that's important is because it made her ceremonially unclean for 12 years. In the Jewish practice, if you came in contact with a woman in this time uh, of her month uh, and you touched her, you were unclean for a day and you had to go out from, the, out from the village. And so this was like, this wasn't just a gnarly health condition. This like devastated this woman's life. She had no community. She couldn't come in contact with people. She couldn't be married. She was probably either divorced or, you know, her husband had left her or maybe she never got married because of the condition. But there was like, there was a bunch going on in this woman's life because of this problem. And she goes, man, I, I, think, I, I think I heard something about this guy, Jesus, and I think he's in town. Like, maybe it wasn't exactly related in that thing that I heard that he could do, but he could probably do this too because I heard that guy, he got up off a mat. And, and he could probably address my problem too. So she goes out and she believes that if she just touches the hem of his garment, that she'll be healed. And, and she goes and she touches Jesus. This is huge risk for her, right? Like if Jesus is really a prophet, what he could do when he calls her out, when he turns around and stops, she's probably thinking like, oh my gosh, he knows that I'm unclean and he's gonna call me out in front of all these people and rebuke me. And instead he says, daughter, you're healed unto your faith, you're healed. You gotta get into these stories to realize how awesome Jesus is and how amazing these moments were. He just stops and looks down at her. She thinks she's gonna get rebuked, but, but it was worth it because her life was just in shambles because of this thing. And then he calls her up and calls her daughter, restores her, and her life again comes back. Two blind guys are then following him, yelling out, basically, son of David, son of David, which they're saying is Messiah, Messiah, have mercy on us. And they're calling out to Jesus, and he sees their faith. 
he goes all the way into a house. So these blind guys are running after him, basically. You got to get, come on, there's some comedy in these scenes, too. You know, so like maybe they're bumping into each other. Or maybe somebody's helping around. But they're like running after Jesus, and he keeps going till he gets inside a house. And then they come in, and they find their way, and he's like, he's like, do you believe I can do this? And they're like, yeah. We just like ran down the street, like can't see a thing, tripped over a rock back there. And what was going on with these guys? How did they know that Jesus could do this? Probably that they had heard the stories. Did you hear about this, this new prophet that's around? This guy touched somebody's blind eyes. He spit in the dirt, rubbed mud in their eyes, and next thing you could know, the, the, the people could see. Or, or man, this guy, you know, it said that he knows what's going on in the hearts of people. He calls it out. I heard this story. My buddy, like he was sitting there with judgment towards these people that were deemed sinners, and Jesus called it out and said, like, what are you doing? Stop judging those people. Like, take the plank out of your own eye. You know, like, there's, there's these stories about how awesome Jesus had been in these various capacities that were circulating throughout the land. And so then when he would go into these different villages, these people would be filled with faith. Most of these people had not had an encounter with Jesus before. You know, this, is, this wasn't like super deep into his ministry, and this wasn't after like, you know, you get, the, you get some of the stories later where it's like he healed everybody in the land, but this is, we got to get this, like people running up to him, these blind people, they probably weren't in one of his prayer meetings or something like that before this moment. They probably had heard about the leper who had gotten healed and restored to society, and they're like, whoa, this guy's, this guy's going at it. This guy's going for it. Maybe we have some hope. And so he enters these new towns, and there's all of these people with faith before they've even met and had the encounter with the real guy. The stories were spreading, and, and there was a buzz about who Jesus was because of the stories and the testimonies that were going on. So the last one, another problem. So we've got sight, we've got a dead daughter, uh, and then we've got two blind men, I'm sorry, and then we've got um, the woman with bleeding, and then there's a demon-possessed man. And the demon-possessed man comes to him. Jesus rebukes the thing, and the demon goes out of the guy. And now all of a sudden he can speak, and you get this sense that he can testify to all the things that Jesus had done. And the thing that's crazy about this to me is that the experiences that these people had with Jesus were so real that they didn't like, have to be forced to share their testimony with people. This la these, the blind people, he says, don't share your testimony. <laughs> like, I do not want you to share your testimony. And they're like, I can't help it. I was blind my whole life. Like, what do you want me to do? How am I not supposed to share this? Everybody's going to walk up and they're going to be like, what's going on? Like, how are you playing baseball with us? You've been blind your whole life. I grew up with you. They can't not share because their encounter with Jesus was so real. They're just like, the evidence is all over my life. I was on a mat. I'm not on a mat anymore. I was demonized. I'm free, right? Like, I had this thing that made me uh, pushed out to the margins of society, and Jesus came and he healed it. Like, how am I not supposed to testify? And so these stories of these real encounters with Jesus just, like, flew around the land and went, you know, town to town, and you can picture it like, you know, I live in this town, and my aunt lives in the one next to me, and then my mom sends a note to her sister and says, like, you won't believe what happened to Ryan. Like, he had this encounter with Jesus, and he was paralyzed, and now he's not. Or he had this, like, you know, 
He had no vision for his life. He was dead in his vision, just like felt like religion was just heavy and no relationship with God. And then Jesus came and he started speaking and teaching out of the Torah. And it came alive with all of this authority that he spoke with. And he's on fire for God now. Like, unbelievable. And then what happens, the other side of it is you envision that these testimonies are going out from these people filled with passion about what Jesus had done with them. And then they go to these towns where you know what happened. The testimony went forth, and it landed on somebody that was in a similar enough position that they could grab hold of it. Right? Oh, wow. That happened to Ryan? Like, I actually feel pretty dead in my relationship with God right now. I wonder if I should go listen to Jesus. Whoa, he's in town? I am, I am there. I will do whatever I need to do to be there, right? He healed the blind person? I've been blind my entire life? Hopeless? angry at God, bitter at God because I just can't get over this thing, maybe this will be my last ditch thing. If he did it for him, maybe he'll do it for me. But there's something that comes in the testimony that resonates with a deep part of somebody. And this, you can just get this thing where faith arises in them somehow. Right? Like even for the blind person that's been blind their entire life, something happens inside where this faith arises and they're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go touch the hem of his garment. And I believe that, like, when I do that, it's going to, it's going to come alive. Like, you get the sense that Jesus always intended for his gospel to go forward in this way. You know, you look at the life that Jesus lived from the macro picture, and he had, like, 12 disciples. He didn't start a megachurch. He had, like, his 12 disciples that he, like, really invested in. And then from there, he did stuff in the towns that he went to, but mostly he said, hey, don't share this testimony. Like, right now, don't share this. And people did it anyway. And then other times he didn't say that. But you get the sense that, like, he wasn't thinking about his life that when he died, the thing would end. And why was he not thinking about his life that, like, I got to maximize these three years in the most way that I can and touch as many lives as humanly possible? The reason is, is because he expected his good news and the person of Jesus to be multiplied and expanded through the experiences of the people that had come in contact with him. Most so the disciples, but also these other ones. It was always in his plan that this is how the gospel would spread. And so I think sometimes for us, we go, man, Jesus, like, why won't you be more obvious in the life of this person? Or like, why, you know, why don't you show up in a vision and empower and like, do this thing. And I think, you know, he does that stuff. And I have tons of testimonies that shows he does that stuff. He shows up in dreams and in people that, like, that can't receive in any other way. And he shows up in a dream and he says, like, I'm the God above all gods. Because my barber of old, like, had this dream of Jesus. And he, like, steps through all these gods and he goes, like, I'm the real one, like, shining, right? Like, Jesus is awesome. He does that stuff. But he also intended for the gospel to go forth through the powerful testimonies of the people that had walked with him, the people that had been encountered by his love, the people that had experienced his power. And then there's this thing that, this is like, this is my understanding of testimony, but I believe it's accurate, that like the testimony goes forth, and it goes forth genuine, and something happens in the heart of the individual that it lands on. Like it doesn't just go forward like a story. It goes forward like a story that carries seed. It goes forward like a seed that's thrown out, and as it hits soil, and it resonates in certain hearts, 
it hits that heart and it goes, wow, like all of a sudden I have hope in this area that I didn't have hope, or I have faith in this area that I didn't have faith. And there's power in the seed to create this harvest. And so the next part of this that we won't talk about today is Jesus saying to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. I need to send people out into the harvest. But why was the harvest plentiful? The harvest was plentiful because of testimony. The harvest was plentiful because these stories were just shooting around from Jesus walking town to town doing this stuff. And as they went around, this this faith started to bubble up to the place when people, when Jesus would run into town with a similar need, they'd run and drop at his feet. And man, my, my vision, my desire for the life of the church is that exact thing. Is that exact thing. My desire is that in here, the authentic, the real deal, real experiences with Jesus, like the stuff that happened in the lives of these people, like the stuff that happened in the life of Kenny, like in the stuff, the life, of, life, life of stuff that happened in people that we'll hear from today, but there would be this authentic testimony where it's not like we're like, man, I need to muscle up this stuff and like share my good news with my coworker because it's what I'm supposed to do. It's like, no, 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 your life is bubbling up. Like you don't know who I used to be. Like you saw me on stage and I was all bold and I had confidence to speak or whatever. Did you know like I was dying with fear anytime I was in front of any people before I knew the Lord. I was so insecure. I felt like people were judging me all the time. And then I had this encounter with Jesus and he came in and he called me his son and he told me how valuable I was to him and he spoke to my heart and little by little I started to like get courage on my life to the point where I walk into a room and I didn't feel like everyone was looking at me, criticizing me. And then I could be on stage and it felt like everyone was looking at me but not criticizing me. And then I just realized, actually, I just don't care anymore. (laughs) Right? And like, Jesus did that. You know, and and you're in fear. Like, I can see how nervous you are and like, let me share with you who Jesus has been in that particular area. Like, our testimony isn't just about I was a sinner, I was bound in sin, I got released from that sin, and now I'm free from it and I'm living a glorious life. It is absolutely that. But it's all the little micro moments of that too. You know, it's not just the salvation story, it absolutely is that, right? We were all sinners. We all came to Jesus worthless and needing of deep repentance in our life and and sin gripped us and we couldn't get out of it and he released us and we got free. Macro, big stuff. Suki and I were... We're wanting a baby for six years. We prayed about it for six years. We got prophetic word after prophetic word where God was like, don't worry, I'm gonna give you children. Don't worry, I'm gonna get you children. After, you know, year four or five, it's harder to hold on to that promise. And then we'd hear testimonies of people who hadn't had children for a long time. We'd be like, oh, faith again. Okay, yes, God, we believe you, we believe you. And then beautiful McKenna comes along, right? And Jesus shows himself true to his promises. He shows himself for us. He shows himself involved in our life. It happened at the perfect time, not a moment too early, not a moment too late. His timing is perfect. And so now we share that, and it goes out to people who are in that place, and they're like, got it. I've gotten that promise too. I'm standing on that. We're going through it. And faith comes alive in people's hearts. And we're not striving and pushing to share testimonies. It's just our life. And we see Jesus show up in these ways, and we're like, that's who he is. That's who he is. And those are the testimonies that produce a harvest. 
Those are the testimonies that produce a harvest. That's what I want to invite us into. So we're going to hear some testimonies from some people, one of my favorite things to do. And as you hear them, let it fall on good soil. Maybe this is the testimony that's meant for you where you're like, I'm grabbing hold of that. Jesus is in my town, and that's the one I need to come and touch the hem of his garment. Or maybe it's one of those where you're like, oh, Jesus has done something similar in my life, and it re-sparks that thing in you where you're like, man, I haven't been thankful for the 15 testimonies that I have in my life that I can remember in an hour in so long? Like, when did those testimonies dull out for me? And maybe this is the spark that brings those testimonies back alive so that when we go back out into the world, it's not, you know, religious fear that compels us to do this. It's live. It's authentic. It's real stories where we go out and we're like, I know exactly where you're at. I know exactly where you're at. This is what I did. This is what God did. This is what happened. And it's the real deal. So James, why don't you come on up? Share with us. Thanks for Got it on a pink post-it or postcard. Um, just real quick, take a second to admire my ARC Ministries. Polo. I'm the only one in the world to have one. And uh, I love how they make these polos one size or two sizes too big. Um, but let me take you back to um, 2013. I had just graduated college and uh, went to do a summer internship in, in New Jersey, right? So uh, part of the reason was I wanted to escape from Berkeley and I was having a really hard time here with uh, community and college and all of that. And so uh, I went to New Jersey and I was doing this crazy job where I was selling books door to door. And that summer, um, and you work 80 hour weeks and you get rejected and all stuff, it's pretty miserable, right? Uh, this was my second time doing it. And uh, my, <laughs> I know, I love, I love pain. So, um, so I, that summer I, w I, sold, um, I sold in nine towns because I was kicked out of each one. Um, I had, I had multiple people post on like Facebook that I was like kidnapping children, and like, and I just I, I and I had finished and you know didn't have as good of a summer as I thought I was gonna do and and all this stuff right so all this adversity and so so I, I'm I'm I I'm in New Jersey and so I drove my car out there and so I finish and I'm driving and I'm coming back right and I'm coming back and I had just graduated college and and I'm thinking throughout this you know 30 hour drive 40 hour drive. Um, or however long it takes, um, you know, what I'm going to do when I get back, right? And, and I'm, 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 I, I'm in this place in my life where I had all of the options, right? I could go anywhere, do anything. I was like, man, I love Seattle. Let's go up to Seattle. Coffee's really good there. And, uh, and so I was thinking about all these things, and I was listening to Chris Valentin, um on the way back, and uh, just because he could keep me awake, right? He's so funny. And so I'm listening to, to one of his sermons, and he's, he's talking about um, fathers, right? And he's talking about um, how, and, I, and, and I'm processing, like, man, why was this summer so hard? And, and you know, that, that summer, just to give you some context, I had never had panic attacks ever in my life, right? And that summer I had two, right? Where I was just, I was like, I, I, was, I thought I was going to die, right? Like, because I couldn't breathe, all this stuff, and just so overwhelmed with anxiety. And so, you know, coming back, I, like, my confidence was just shattered, right? I was like, man, I, I don't know what happened. 
um, and and I'm I'm in this car and I'm and I'm driving through uh, the Mojave Desert, right? And uh, and I'm listening to Chris Valentin, and he's talking about fathers and how fathers give a sense of destiny, right? And I was as I was listening to that, I I just had this realization that my entire life, or, or all of my friends that I grew up with, none of us had like fathers really right I was I was going down the list I was like Jacob abusive father Ray no father Riley like all my you know home like hometown friends and going through the list and I'm like Alex absent father my father not you know it's like and I was just confronted with this sense of like generational loss right like I don't know if you've ever felt that like weight of hopelessness where you're just like man like I need someone to show me how to like grow up and be a man and all this stuff, and, and I've never had that, right? And I was just confronted with that. And I just remember as I was sitting in the car driving, I'm just like weeping, right? And I'm like, God, I, I, I don't have a father, you know? Like, I don't, I don't know what it feels like to be fathered. I don't know what it looks like to be a man. And, and I have all these, like, opportunities, but I'm so scared because I don't know where to go. And I just remember God saying, like, I'll be your father, right? And, and as I'm driving, right, I'm just like driving on this road, no cars. I'm like swerving left to the right, right? <laughs> like tears running down my face. And, and, uh, and I was just like, man, God, like, will you father me? You know, like, will you, will, you, will, you, will you father me? But also, would you bring fathers into my life, right? And, and, and I got back, and, and it, the, the past three years since that moment has been so amazing. Like, it's, you know, just in all, all the different places, work, church, right? Like, and, and, and every place, like, the, especially, especially in work, too, like, I've had just really amazing male figures just take me under their wing, right, without me seeking it out or anything, just showing me how to grow up and how to be a man, you know, and, and Ryan and Suki, right, like, I remember there was this one point where I was like, I don't know if I should be here or not, you know, and, and I don't, I, maybe I need to move, right, and, and all this stuff, and I remember specifically, I'm, I'm biking over to Ryan and Suki's place, and I hear the Lord say, you stay with Ryan and Suki, right? Don't stay, like, no, don't stay with the Ark or the Berkeley. No, like, stay with Ryan and Suki, right? And, and it was, it was, and I felt like the Lord was saying, because I needed, I, I want you to stay with them because you need someone to show you how to live, how to live your life, right? And in, in every way, God has been supplying, you know, mothers and fathers and role models in a way that has satisfied the, the place of where I've lacked with my mother and father. Um, the, the one thing I want to read is Hebrews 12, and I think this is really pertinent um, to, to that experience, right? And it says this, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline or lose heart when he rebukes you, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises everyone he receives as a son. Endure suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you do not experience discipline like everyone else, then you are Ill illegitimate children and not true sons. And that's my exhortation to you. If you're going through an experience where it's, you just like were crushed and it was an utter failure, right? I, I've realized over time that it's really just God showing, disciplining you and loving you and guiding you through it and giving you that challenge and saying, it's okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to coach you through it. And that's that's who God has been to me. Is that it, you know life? I'm realizing that you know it's just, life is so like up and down, and there's all these different things. But every single moment or every single challenge, it's always been God, um, God guiding me through it and walking me through it, encouraging me through it, and um, it's been amazing. So.
So good. Really awesome. Thank you, James. Can we just pray into that real quick? I want to pray something specific. God, I thank you that you call yourself the father to the fatherless. God, and whether we had the best father in the world or whether we had no father at all or something in between, God, you're the father to the fatherless, God. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would come and that you would be our father. God, I pray that you'd draw in, that you'd show us how to do life, that you'd call us up into places of courage, that you'd come and be our comfort when we get smacked around selling books and other crazy stuff. And God, that you would just be everything that a father is supposed to be, just like you say that you want to be to us. And so we give you that invitation and thank you that that's your promise. And God, I also pray, God, that you would open the eyes of understanding to be able to see every way that you've already been fathering us. And just as James was sharing about his bosses and Suki and I and others who came along and he saw the hand of the Lord in those moments, I pray, God, that you would reveal all the areas of the hand of the Lord in our lives, Lord, where you've done that very same thing and we just didn't even notice. Thank you that you're faithful and thank you that you're good. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So good, man. Thanks. Sarah, go. Come on up. Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Go. if you don't know me. Um, so similarly to James, I, well, James's past life, I work with books. I work at a publishing company called Chronicle Books, and it's um, near the ballpark in San Francisco. So I started about two years ago. Um, about a year in, when I was still feeling really new and like I didn't super know what I was doing every day, uh, my boss approached me and she was like, hey, um, I have a proposition. I would like you to manage the CEO's son for three months and just show him the ropes of uh, what we do here in marketing. And immediately my first thought slash prayer was, dear God, why me? No, please take this away from me. I don't want to do it. Um, but because I thought I should say yes, I was like, sure. And I faked a smile. Um, and a month later, here he was, Griffin McAvoy, under my wing. Um, and really, I was super scared. Um, my prayer daily was, dear God, please don't let me mess up. Please don't let me get fired. <laughs> please don't let him tell the CEO that I don't know what I'm doing. Um, Three months passed, and I didn't get fired, and that's my testimony. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Three months passed. It was fine. We actually became pretty good friends, and I stopped thinking about him because he moved on uh, to another manager. Um, about six months later, um, I started to actually really feel him weigh on my heart. Um, like when I walked into the office in the morning, I would just feel like, I was like, dang, I feel like God wants me to pray for Griffin, and I didn't know why. Um, so a few days later, after that feeling started, um, Griffin emailed me. He was like, hey, do you want to get lunch? I was like, sure, yeah, um, sounds good. And before that lunch, I was just praying. I was like, God, do what you want to do in this lunch. Um, if he brings something up, you know, just you be there, you, um, you do the talking, you lead this whole entire conversation. So we're eating burritos, an hour passes, we talk about nothing substantial, 
And I was like, okay. So I was telling him about a dream that I had the night before. Um, and I won't go into the specifics because it was a really weird dream. And then he was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Um, do you think that dream is about you being a Christian in San Francisco and how that feels? And I was like, um, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> Um, and that actually led to this whole thing where he was like, you know, I don't really believe in your God. Why would he, if he did, make all these people and just abandon them? Because there's so much hard and terrible stuff that goes on in the world. Like, I just don't think that your God is a loving one. And frankly, I don't believe he exists. Um, so that's when I was like, thanks for sharing, Griffin. <laughs> um <laughs> Dear God, dear God, dear God. <laughs> um, yeah, but I was like, actually, I believe that God is a God of love. And I think that everything that he does is from this core place of him being love. And I believe that he created people not because he just wanted to be an overlord and watch them suffer, but he created out of the very nature of his love. And we, we talked about that. And then I was like, and Griffin, I believe that God loves you. He loves you so very much. And he honestly looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> like, he was just like, okay. <laughs> um, and then at the end of our lunch, he was like, you know, Sarah, you are the only Christian person that I know. And I'm really glad that I know you. And at that moment, I just had to zoom out. I was like, God, from the very first moment, I was praying just for survival. I was like, God, don't let me get fired. God, don't let me mess up. God, don't, make, don't let me make a fool out of myself. And here I am telling the future owner of our company that God loves him. Um, and I, I mean, I don't believe that this testimony is finished. I think that I really do believe that he's going to come to this church one day. And I'm still praying for him. Um, and so I hope that this is encouraging for all of you who have that person or those people on your heart who you really want the Lord to break in and enter into their lives. Um, just like Ryan was saying, the harvest is plentiful. I really believe it. And I believe that as long as we're open, he's going to let us come into partnership with him and touch people and tell people about his love for them. All right. So good. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you that you're the one that is a pursuer of the people that you created. God, thank you that you don't just sit back and, and take a passive stance and ambivalently say, well, if they find me, they find me. If not, they're not. God, you are a passionate pursuer, God, and you've given us the ministry of reconciliation, God, that your heart can go out to this earth and invite people back into a relationship and a, a safety uh, and, and in a, an embrace with their Heavenly Father, God. Thank you that you did make this world in love, and thank you that, God, that we get to partner with you in it, God. And so I thank you for so many aspects of Sarah's testimony, God, that you are the hound of heaven that's going after the people that are around us, God, because you just burn for people, and God, also that you give us purpose and you give us mission in this life. Would you stoke that fire in us, God, and get us excited about what you're doing every day, even when we're saying, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, Nancy, where are you? Come on up.
like Hanson. No, I, I like I like his responses and his feedback. Um, all right. Um, so Ryan actually he asked. Well, I think the prompt was basically think of something like a situation in your in your life. Uh, God met you and encountered you. How did it change you? And I started thinking about this. I had all of worship to think about this, and I um, I couldn't think of one time. What I actually thought about were times when, for example, when I first started coming to the Ark years and years ago, um, and I was a different person back then, and um, I was trying to reach out to people in friendship, and I was, in my mind, very different than everybody else. I kind of thought I was the black sheep, and somehow everyone else had grown up in church except for me, um, and I felt um, no response from people when I was reaching out. Um, Okay, and then I thought about a time when years and years ago, actually, I don't talk about it very much, I actually um, applied to grad school, um, and I had every indication I thought I was going to get in. I, w I had, like, confirmations I thought from the Lord, um, like, the most amazing, like, just divine appointments and, the, and the, the essays and things like that, and then I didn't get in. Um, I thought about times when I reached out, and basically the word that came to mind was that dirty word, rejection. Um, and I realized, I'm like, that with rejection, rejection is not the enemy. Um, so recently, some of you guys, actually, I've been talking to you. There's a woman who's been highlighted to me, Brene Brown, and she is an expert, actually, on something on shame. And she studied shame for over a decade, like 15 years or something. And what she, what I learned from her is basically um, in those moments of rejection or pain or hardship, um, basically shame says, for example, shame, she defines shame as different than guilt. Guilt says that what I did was bad. Um, shame says who you are is bad, actually. And maybe that thing you're hoping for that you didn't get, maybe that's a reflection of who you are. Maybe that thing, um, that person who rejected you, Maybe that's a reflection of who you are. Maybe that hope you've been hoping for, but you didn't get, maybe God doesn't hear you. Maybe God doesn't love you. Um, yeah, and I think what I want to do, exhort people today, is to, um, in those moments when um, we're feeling maybe rejected by God or he hasn't heard us, maybe there are things that, um, I know there are things that I've been praying for for a really long time, prophetic words I've received for many, many years that haven't come to pass yet, um, there are times when I still reach out to people and they don't reach back. Um, and my exhortation basically is to, instead of allowing my heart to grow hard with hopelessness, instead of letting my heart um, or my world get a little bit smaller. Because what I've noticed, actually, I don't know, so I'm a little bit older than you guys, <laughs> most people here, and I work with people who are significantly older who most of the time don't know Jesus. Um, and what I've seen, what I've observed, like, company after company, interaction after interaction, is that not only without Jesus, but without hope, how, how small our world becomes. Um, and how, depending on our, on our response to rejection, how hard our heart can get. Um, and I really believe that we, that, for, that what God wants for me and for us is to live a life and a heart, with hearts full of hope. Um, and the verse that came to mind actually is from 1 Corinthians 13. Um, love doesn't, love always protects, it always hopes, um, always perseveres. Um, and so, yeah, my exhortation is that we would respond in a place of hope um, instead of letting our hearts get hard. Yeah. Can I actually pray into that? Can I? Yeah.
I'm going to do a little interview here. Yes. So, so Brene Brown has, I think, like 20 million hits on her TED Talk uh, on the first one, and then she's done a series of talks since then. Incredible stuff. Go and, go and listen to it. It's, like, it's really good. The reason why I think she has 20 million hits is because everybody struggles with shame. And so when she's talking and she's vulnerable, um, it's just it's super powerful. I think that the exhortation that you gave is something that you've been living out for the last two to three years that I've witnessed in your life. Who have you seen God be in that time as you've chosen to stand on truth and if you've chosen in like that, what have you seen God do in your life? Actually, I'm really glad you asked because I forgot something I wanted to share. <laughs> um, so the other part is that um, in those moments of, and I, to answer your question, um, in those moments of vulnerability and um, of deciding which way am I going to go, like when I feel hardship or rejection, am I going to harden my heart or not? Um, what I've learned about vulnerability is that it's drawn me closer to God. Um, I think that is, and for that, I don't, I welcome the times of like hardship and rejection because it always, it always draws me closer to God um, and it's an invitation for him and even for me to come closer to him. Um, he's shown me that he, he can comfort me when I'm mourning, um, that his love is actually tangible. It's not just some thing I have to read about. It's not just something I have to hear someone else talk about. Like in Song of Songs, right, when he talks about um, like the lover and the beloved, I used to always really want to know what that feels like. Because when I would read about it, like it's so romantic and it's so um, passionate, but I didn't really feel that. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe it's just not for me, God. Um, but in those moments of mourning, or in those moments when I was really raw and it really hurt, um, he showed me that he can be that lover. He can be exactly who he says he is um, in Song of Songs, in the Bible, in the Word and stuff. So, yeah. Um, I want to pray into that. Um, God, I thank you so much, Lord, that... Um, the way that you describe love is that it always protects and always hopes and always perseveres. It always trusts God. Um, and Lord, I pray that like I and that we as a church would be people who are full of that kind of hope and that kind of faith that perseveres, that always trusts, that we would be full of that kind of love that always hopes and trusts and perseveres, God. Um, I pray that in moments of hardship or rejection, when we put ourselves out there, but maybe that person didn't reach back, that, Lord, we wouldn't close up our hearts or harden our hearts in hopelessness, God, but that, Lord, you, that we would continue to go before you and each other with open hands and open hearts, God. Um, yeah, I pray that, God, we would be a people full of hearts that are open and hands that are open, God, holding nothing against you and holding nothing back, God, um, that we would show the world something different, God. Um, so yeah, Lord, I pray, I thank you that you give us the opportunity to know what it is to have a soft and an open heart, just like you, Jesus. Um, yeah, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. All right. We're going to, we're going to wrap up in one second, but we got one more. Sammy, go. Come on up. Hi, I'm Sammy. Um, I'll share a story. And it starts at Chipotle um, on San Pablo and Gilman. There you go. So 10, 2010, um, I was a student at Berkeley uh, studying landscape architecture. And uh, I was very driven by food. So I think I was actually like driving for 
the heck of it um, throughout North Berkeley and decided on a whim to go <laughs> to Chipotle and eat by myself. Um, so I think I had a, I was having a quiet time um, in Chipotle, um, like just sitting there reading my Bible, eating my burrito bowl, and someone comes in and is like, hey, does anyone drive a old white Beamer um, in, in, the park, in, the park, in the parking lot? And I look around, no one's raising their hand. I'm not raising my hand because you never think it's you. Then I realize it's me. Um, I'm like, yeah, and they said, oh, um, your car rolled out of its spot and hit another woman's car. Um, and I'm like, okay, cool. And I get up and walk throughout the restaurant, um, exit and see my car in the middle of the parking lot. So I had a hand-me-down car that was super old where you could uh, turn the key, like turn the uh, car off, take the key out uh, and the car could still be in drive. Um, and there was no like safety measure for that. <laughs> Suki loves the story. She is cracking up at my foolishness. So um, that happened, and I talked to the woman. I was like, I'm so sorry that I hit your car. Um, I just, I don't know what happened. And we exchanged information. She was so nice to me. She was like, oh, you're, you're only 20. Um, I, <laughs> I won't bring this up with insurance. Um, just I'll get it repaired, and you just, you give me some money. And so... Um, I was like, great. Yeah, so um, I left and um, got back in my car, drove away immediately really fast, um, and was just like, you know what, God, thank you. Um, if I had to get into my first car accident, at least no one got injured. Um, they're not going to sue me. Uh, it's, you know, it was pretty, it was good for if it had to happen. And, you know, I learned my lesson and um, thanks God for teaching me this good one. Um, so we are emailing this woman and I, and uh, I read her first email and I scroll down and it turns out that she is a landscape architect, um, which is what I was studying, as I mentioned before. And that's very rare. <laughs> um, to meet another landscape architect and for it to be the lady whose car you hit accidentally. Um, so uh, we're exchanging emails. I'm praying that she sees my signature, <laughs> which says um, candidate BA landscape architecture UC Berkeley. Um, so she does eventually and she's like, hold up, you're studying this? Um, we talk, we get coffee. Um, she's like, hey, what are you planning to do um, with this degree? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think I eventually want to open up my own firm, but I'm, I, don't, I don't really know if I need to go to grad school or what exactly is going to happen. Um, she's like, you don't need to go to grad school. Uh, all you need is an internship, um, and I'm looking for an intern. So <laughs> she offered me an internship. <laughs> and uh, I worked with her for two years. Um, and then from then left, start my own thing, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm now a florist. Anyway, um, <laughs> but everything is connected. So what I learned about who God was and kind of my interactions with him, um, obviously that he's crazy uh, and crazy good and really funny, um, very creative, uh, very specific. Um, and his provision is in a way that um, can be so entirely unexpected um, in the way where 
it really is like better than I could have ever expected or imagined. Um, when I thought that the best outcome could have been that no one got hurt, um, it was so much more, right? And so I think even like uh, step after step, episode after episode, there's just kind of this confirmation even from the Lord of like what you're doing, you're on the right path. You know what I mean? It's like um, whatever way that you think you're like mobilizing yourself forward, that's like nowhere near as like uh, crazy when you think about the ways that I am pushing you forward and I am like drawing you forward and I'm creating opportunities for you. Um, I am like lighting your path, yada, yada, yada. All those good things about like God as provider. Um, yeah, it's like, it's funny, isn't it? Who <laughs> is? I can't, I don't know. It's, yeah. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks, man. Nice. Cool. So, I could hear it. I love, that t I love testimonies. They're so fun. Um, I want to give you guys a challenge. I want to give you guys a challenge. I think that the life on your testimonies, so not just the stories that you tell, but the life that God puts on them, has a lot to do with just general thankfulness in your life. You know, I think that these people in Jesus' day, when they had an encounter with Jesus— and they left away. In some of the stories, it's like, he was leaping, he was dancing, and he was worshiping God. You know, you get this sense of the guy's just like skipping down the street doing spins. And, you know, a testimony feels fresh, and it feels alive, in as much as there's still thankfulness and appreciation on it. And so, for your own faith, as well as for the faith of the region, as we go out, and the same thing that happens in Jesus' day happens in our day, where we go out with these stories of who Jesus has been, and they're fresh, and they're alive. The assignment that I'd give you, or the encouragement that I'd give you, is have a quiet time with the Lord. Sit down and say, Holy Spirit, can you show me the times in my life where you've shown up, and you did something, maybe that I knew you were doing, or maybe that I didn't even know you were doing, and can you bring those things back to mind and just go thankful for each one of them? Man, Lord, I remember when my buddy was drinking and driving and we were going 110 miles an hour and we started spinning out in the rain. And as we were spinning around, I said, Lord, please keep us safe in slow-mo. And we slammed into the center guard and slid, slid to a stop backwards and all of us were perfectly fine. Like, thank you your hand of protection even when I was being a complete fool even when I was doing nothing right your hand of protection was over my life thank you just allow him to bring the stuff I remember when this happened wow God you were there thank you and just invite the spirit of God to bring those things to mind and then to bring them to heart you know and he'll show you your past in a way if you invite him to that thankfulness will come on those things and then you'll have the stories that you want to tell about Jesus because he, it's not a matter of whether he's been insanely faithful in your life. That's the given. It's just a matter of how much of it you've seen, how much of it you've recognized, and how thankful you are for about all those times where he's intersected your reality and blessed you and loved you. So let's pray. I'm going to pray over that particular exercise. Let's all stand together.
God, I thank you that you are insanely good. That when we read about who Jesus was in his time on earth, we're reading about the Jesus who's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So, Spirit of God, I pray that you'd make the truth come alive in this place as we engage you, as we meditate upon your goodness, as we invite you to bring those stories to life and to, 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 to mind and to bring them to life. God, I pray that you would do so, Holy Spirit. And so we've heard some beautiful testimonies today, God. And we've also been inspired by the power of testimony. I pray that we would go out of this place. We would invite you to come and bring our stories to life and that you would come in power. We give you thanks, Lord. Even now, we just give you thanks for who you've been, for who you are, and for who you ever will be, God. You are so insanely good, and that's who we see you to be in all of the different expressions of testimonies that we have. We give you the glory and the honor, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all. If you do this, and you're a member, and something cool happens, put it on our member page. That's all. If you guys want prayer, there'll be a prayer team up here. If you want prayer for anything, testimony or non-testimony related, come on up and grab some prayer. There'll be some people that love you in the love of God. Bye.